This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, March 1st. Weather forecast for today, cloudy skies, a slight chance of some rain showers or flurries through the afternoon, a high today of plus 3 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one is Mississauga's Bonnie Crombie, the future of the provincial liberals. Number two, TDC CEO has been handed more money to deal with security issues. Number three, the taste of the Danforth is going to return this summer. Number four, a Mervish theater on Young Street to be demolished. And number five, would-be Toronto Mayor Anna Bilal is going to make her pitch this morning on Moore in the Morning. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Happy Wednesday to you. How's it going so far? Welcome to a brand new month. Hey, look at that. We made it through February. I realize it's not that much of a slog. It's only 28 days. But here we are. It's the month of March. And without belaboring the point, because I don't actually think it's as relevant as the beginning of winter, or the beginning of summer. But the meteorologists will say, well, you know, it's meteorological spring now, first of March. Okay, but You know, 1st of June feels like summer. 1st of December feels like winter. 1st of March still feels like winter. Anyway, that's my take. Uh, However, we are, we're sort of reaching escape velocity, I think, should you feel the need to escape winter. I have to say, much as I've tried to be a cheerleader for it this winter, I haven't strapped on a pair of skis. I haven't strapped on, I haven't laced up a pair of skates. I just, I haven't done the winter thing this year. For me, it's just been about, okay, does the dog need boots or not? So uh, increasingly, I think the Toronto mayoralty race is going to be argued out mostly in the media and in many cases here on News Talk 1010 and also here on our show on More in the Morning. And I guess the starter's pistol fires on that this morning because uh, Anna Bilau, former city councillor, who says she's considering a run for mayor, is going to show up and make her pitch to you. Meanwhile, Brad Bradford is way beyond throat clearing. He unveiled an advisory committee that struck me as a bit unwieldy yesterday. I think there were like 20 names on it, but they included some pretty major names and there was a lot of diversity there. My only advice, and I know he listens, uh, and he doesn't have to take my advice. I never seek, incidentally, and I think you know this, I've been doing afternoons and mornings now. It'll be my 20th anniversary this year. I don't endorse. I don't recommend. I don't donate. I, I try to allow people to have a platform, and I provide some insight, perhaps, but I'm never going to say, come, what is it, the 26th of June that we're going to have the mayoralty, uh, the mayor's race. I'm not going to say, this is my choice. I remember back when we were under previous ownership, it was very controversial because we had to go through these meetings to find out whether or not the individual hosts were going to be able to weigh in on whether they like this or not. But back when we were owned by a private company and a private family, they started running ads saying, vote for John Tory, vote for John Tory, vote for John Tory. And I'm pretty sure to a person, you know, down to the last host, everybody said, this is not, this is not kosher. Uh, Anyway, we're not going to do that. However, 
if I was advising Brad Bradford, uh, I have two thoughts. One is get in. Uh, if you want to run, then run. And frankly, if she's listening right now, my advice to Anna Balao is just declare this morning on our show that you're running because I'm not that big a fan of the Dance of the Seven Veils. Oh, I'm thinking of running. Or I think my favorite is the people who say, I'm not running. I'm not running. Oh, if you insist. All right. I will run if you really, really want me to run. Stop. Stop telling me that. Please. No, no, uh, okay. No. Yeah. Because um, if I can name names... I think Jennifer Keysmat is waiting for some power brokers to say, okay, we're in and we're in with you and here's some money and that's going to be great because she's certainly, for somebody who isn't running, she's certainly talking a lot. And wouldn't it be fascinating to have two urban planners running against each other, um, Jennifer Keysmat and Brad Bradford. Uh, my other advice, and it's not advice actually, my other observation on Brad Bradford would be that I've often said the problem with Aerosmith is that John Moore likes Aerosmith, which makes them distinctly uncredible as a rock and roll act. And the problem with Brad Bradford as a conservative would be that John Moore likes Brad Bradford. And I, you know, I, I have my conservative leanings. As a matter of fact, Robert Turner insists that I'm a closet conservative. Um, but I just like, you know, John Tory was never a conservative either. And it always amused me that people would talk about him as if he was some sort of a fascist, big money oppressor. And he's more Michael Bloomberg than anybody else. And his vision, I think, for the city was very Bloomberg-esque, which I supported. And if Brad Bradford wants to bring that agenda to the, to the table, then I'd support the agenda. I only go for policy. I don't go for the individual people. Um, while we're talking politics... The other story this morning that is eminently debatable would certainly be that uh, Bonnie Crombie, I don't know if she has the ambition to run for the leadership of the provincial liberals, but there certainly has been murmurings about her over the last couple of weeks, and they kind of exploded into whisperings, I guess, because I don't think anybody's shouting yet. Um, but there does seem to be a concerted effort. Now that the liberals have failed to tempt Mike Schreiner to come over and lead the party, now they're looking to Bonnie Crombie, who at the very least is on paper, I think, a liberal. I don't know if she's a cardholder, but, uh, you know, she would certainly be seen more to have been in line with the liberal party than with others. So, you know, that's interesting. And we'll talk more about it. I'll let the pundits do the heavy lifting on this one this morning. Um, Preet Banerjee is going to be here at 6.20 on the morning brief. Then we have the roundtables at 7.45 and 8.45. I think Bonnie Crombie, for the most part, and if you're a Mississaugan, you probably are better informed on this one, but she seems to have done a good job as the mayor of Mississauga. I will say she can be an eccentric figure. I can't forget, probably you can't either if you were listening, the day that we were interviewing her about some policy and... You know, my policy is I don't generally interrupt people unless they were repeating themselves or saying something that isn't true. But in Bonnie Crombie's case, she spoke without breathing for about five minutes. And when I interrupted, she said, I have two more points. And I thought, fine, call a press conference. You know, I'm not your stenographer. So, you know, Bonnie Crombie, and I've had lunch with her a couple of times, is, in the word I'll come back to, eccentric exceptional perhaps so it would be an interesting thing she certainly she could do retail though and she is uh, tireless but also she needs to learn to do a faster interview
Uh, so you know what? That's we we open with uh, you know politics across the board. There's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about this morning that we are going to get to. Uh, as well in what Toronto's talking about. And we're going to hook up with our friends at CP24, the television station. All right, let's say a very good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore for what Toronto is talking about. Good morning, John. Uh, happy Wednesday, I believe, middle of the week. Uh, let's get into it. So yesterday was the TTC board meeting, and TTC CEO Rick Leary has asked for more emergency spending power amid, of course, all those transit violence concerns. So it looks like, you know, that could be up to uh, $15 million. Well, there was a lot of concern. You're absolutely right, Jennifer, when it was first announced that the TTC was going to be putting uh, special security guards. They were going to hire a private company to put guards on the TTC. Then Toronto Police Service was going to delegate officers. And the question everybody had, including you guys and us, was where's the money going to come from? And they insisted at the time that the money was there. They were going to be OK, but clearly that's not going to last forever. So you're right. This is still mm -hmm. subject to approval of Toronto City Council, but they've had handed the CEO, let's just say, to use an old term, a larger checkbook mm -hmm. so that he can pay for this probably through to about October. Mm -hmm. Okay. Turning now to health care, John, another big issue uh, we're dealing with, and this will certainly give the critics something to chew on. Uh, an Ottawa hospital or Ottawa hospital has opened uh, their operating rooms, which are vacant to a private corporation with private surgeons. Uh, and this, of course, comes as there are questions about this new kind of partnership. And we're now in this realm of what is private? What is public? You're absolutely right. And, you know, depending on what your perspective on health care is, you're either going to break the glass and pull the emergency button or you're going to say this is absolutely inventive and fantastic. Mm -hmm. But the the idea, as you said, is the opening up of operating rooms, which are unoccupied in the night hours and on the weekends and allowing a private corporation to go in and to use them. Some critics are saying, well, that's just going to pull on the nursing supply, for example. Others are saying, hey, the rooms are empty. If somebody wants to come come in and actually pay the public system in order mm -hmm. to perform private surgeries, let's do it. Yeah. Okay, we'll see how this plays out. And, uh, John, some good news uh, for the people of Toronto. The city announced an investment in cultural festivals, and it looks like the taste of Danforth finally making its return this summer for the first time since 2019. Yeah, it's been a long time, and this is one of Canada's favorite street festivals, estimated to be worth about $70 million to the local economy. So Taste of the Danforth is returning for the very first time since 2019. I love celebrating stories like this because it's just another signal that we're getting back to some semblance of normal. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, how disappointed people were last year because of some logistical issues that I couldn't uh, return regarding bike lanes, but now looks like it'll be back. So looking forward to that. And turning to this, John, we were reporting about it yesterday, uh, having to do with the federal government, but it looks like that foreign interference report uh, says that, you know, foreign interference didn't affect the outcome of the 2021 federal election. This is a mixed blessing, I think, for Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals, because you're right, the report does say that it doesn't appear that the uh, meddling by the Chinese government had any impact on the actual outcome of the election. Although it is fascinating, uh, they apparently were manipulating the vote in such a way they wanted the liberals to win, but they wanted to confine them to a minority. I'm not sure how much control they necessarily had at all. But as I said, mixed blessing, because the author of the report is going to be widely criticized. He's the former head 
of the Trudeau Foundation. So I think most critics will find that this report is suspect. Mm, okay, yeah, I bet Trudeau is happy about this. And let's finally turn to this uh, automaker Ford, not the premier, <laughs> uh, has patented a system for self-repossessing vehicles. When I first read this, I thought it was like self-driving vehicles, like kind of takes back control if the driver isn't doing so well, like in a Tesla. But no, we're talking kind of like a, a loan shark. This is a crazy story. Now, there's no evidence they're necessarily going to go ahead with this, but you're right. Ford has patented this. What's going to happen is if you miss a car payment, for example, it'll mm -hmm. send you an email. And then after a brief period of time, it might make it impossible for you to use the heater or <laughs> the air conditioning or it might turn off the radio for you. This goes on. And if you continue to miss payments and you get to the point where the car would normally be repossessed, the car will drive itself to a venue where somebody can pick it up with a tow truck. If this is my favorite part uh -huh. in all this, Jennifer, if the, it is calculated, the car is no longer worth anything, then the car will drive itself to, <laughs> to a, a junkyard. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I must say. <laughs> This is, could be the most brilliant uh, patent ever if it does come to fruition. Interesting <laughs> stuff. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care. Jennifer Shang over at uh, CP24. And yeah, that story is hilarious. And there's way more detail to it that we'll talk about. I'm looking forward to what Preet Banerjee wants to say about it at 6.20 this morning. But another proposal was, again, if you had uh, missed numerous payments and they wanted to punish you, they could turn off the radio or they could turn it on at such a volume as driving your car would be thoroughly unpleasant. And on and on it would go. All this is part of the fact that cars are now traveling computers, right? And they have an interface over the internet with either your retailer or the manufacturer. So that's how you get to things like Tesla, where they build two cars exactly the same, but you pay a premium and one of your cars is programmed to have more mileage or longer distance that it can go without a charge. Or you get to the point where BMW was pitching. I'm trying to remember if they followed through on this or if it was just blue sky idea. But that, again, the cars would all be identical, but you would subscribe to the seat heaters or subscribe to various other premium features. And it actually... It, it's kind of confounding and genius at the same time when you think about it, because instead of having to manufacture cars and put in certain premium aspects and then hope, well, somebody's going to want the blue car with the white interior and the enhanced lighting system. No, you just build all the cars precisely the same and use it as a turnkey operation where somebody says, okay, I want this feature, that feature, this feature, that feature, and you just program the car to provide that feature. Happy Wednesday on this first day of March. One of the things we'll be asking Preet Banerjee about because his personal expertise is finance and economics and business. So we always try to lean into somebody's wheelhouse. And we have a report out about the state of the Canadian economy. Kind of mixed results, because I always come back to Andrew Coyne's maxim that all economic news is bad. Because for the last two years, all we've done is complained about runaway inflation and unaffordable housing. So then the Bank of Canada raises the interest rates, and inflation starts to taper off, 
and the economy starts to slow down and the cost of housing comes down and everybody says, look what you've done to the economy. You've ruined everything. And the cost of houses, I mean, previously they were unaffordable and it made me mad. Now they're affordable and I'm mad because the one that I own is worth less. So you got to sort of take the good with the bad, I guess, when it comes to economic news. And um, household spending in Canada continues to rise. Wages continue to rise. Employment continues to be, uh, unemployment continues to be very, very low. But net-net when it comes to gross domestic product, the economy kind of came to a halt in the last quarter. So again, complaining about this is sort of like saying, this car is moving too fast, I'm gonna press on the brakes. Wait a second, this car isn't traveling fast enough to get to where I wanna get. Um, most of this news is, is fairly positive. And the prediction from the central bank and from leading economists is that the economy is going to slow down. We may even end up in a recession, which is two negative quarters, um, but it's gonna be a fairly soft landing. And that's been sort of my sensation for a good long time because the crazy thing is, in spite of how much people have complained about inflation, they continue to buy stuff. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Wednesday morning. And uh, Annabelle Au, who's sort of the first person out of the gate, even though she doesn't say officially if she's running, maybe she will this morning on our show, is going to be our guest this morning. Just checking the clock. Joe Christiana, that's at 8.20, isn't it? Yeah, live in studio. I'm still getting used to this live in studio thing. I, we used to insist on it for the roundtables, and I would like to get back to it, actually, because it's a lot easier when you can catch somebody's eye and tell them to quit talking or amp it up or who wants the next point and who has no opinion at all. Doing all that stuff on Zoom has been a boon to our pundits, I'm sure, who get to fire up the computer from home, and then as soon as it's done, go pour another coffee. Um, but I always liked everybody being in studio. And I always remember Laura Babcox on round one this morning. I mean, she would drive in from Hamilton just to do 13 minutes of radio. There's some commitment. Um, but yes, uh, just to revert to the thought I was having about people being in studio, I still have certain sort of COVID instincts, I guess. So when somebody actually shows up live and in the flesh, I think this is just, this is a very strange experience. And then you get to things like Shelley Carroll, city councillor, popped into studio two weeks ago, I guess, to talk about one issue or another. And we realized, because we've known each other for years and years, that we had not seen each other in person for almost three years. And I'm sure that's an accounting you do in your day-to-day -day life all the time now. Um, we had a meeting yesterday where our entire sales division came down to visit this campus because we have multiple buildings in Toronto and Bell Media. And again, you know, it had been so long that obviously a goodly number of them have been onboarded since the beginning of the pandemic. But to all the others, I couldn't even remember some of them. Anyway, that's the strange COVID, post-COVID existence. Um, so uh, I was mentioning a Mervish theater that apparently is slated for demolition. You may remember a couple of years ago, they came up with the master plan at the Mervish company for three new towers in downtown Toronto. And they were going to demolish like two blocks of buildings. And that included the Princess Wales Theatre, which was opened with considerable fanfare back in the 1990s and is, to the best of my knowledge, state-of-the-art. It's also just a nice theatre. One of the things you notice about 
modern theaters and concert venues is they have enormous lobbies, so you're not compressed. The old theaters, like the Royal Alex and the Ed Mervish Theater, there's almost nowhere to stand before uh, the show and at intermission. So I've always liked the overall size and the lobby space and uh, everything else about the Princess of Wales. Anyway, ultimately they decided they were not going to demolish that. Uh, there was such an outcry about some of the buildings which some people regard as having historic value and the Princess of Wales Theatre, and so ultimately they decided, okay, we won't demolish it. However, the theatre that is now slated for demolition is the one known as the CAA Theatre. It's located at 651 Young Street, if you're sort of squinting now trying to remember, because it's, it's a venue where they do more sort of uh, fringe-worthy productions. And so it's the one on the east side of Young Street, probably about three streets south of Bloor. Not one of my favorite venues. It reminds me of a venue in Montreal called Club Soda because it's probably an old movie theater. And so they've just stripped it down to the brickwork and, uh, you know, there's steel girders and all that stuff. But it's a comfortable enough facility and it's a nice feature. It's, you know, one of the nice... Uh, available venues in the city of Toronto. So I'm not going to mourn it because I'm sure the Mervishes have a few other ideas. And I know that, um, you know, we could have more modern, perhaps even better located uh, facilities. But they're going to replace it with a 76-story mixed-use tower in the coming years. And they're going to retain the front facade, which is, again, a sort of a mixed blessing because I don't know that the facade is is necessarily all that special. I'm not against all development. I've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks because urban spacing, urban planning, architecture, heritage, stuff like that are one of my sort of side deals. And so I've complained about a lot of buildings and how many buildings, if you spend time walking around uh, downtown Toronto, everything south of basically Eglinton, I guess, and between Bathurst and Church, there are so many buildings that are slated to be demolished and replaced. And it's got to the point where we're demolishing perfectly good buildings, modern buildings, buildings that were designed by noted architects. But as um, Alex Bozikovic expressed in the Globe and Mail yesterday, he said an awful lot of buildings now are worth less than the land underneath them is in order to build a new building. It's complicated math, I guess, but effectively you'd take a building from 1965 rather than retrofitting it, demolish it, put up a new tower, make it taller, and uh, Bob's your uncle. There is a somewhat, maybe harrowing would be, no, I, I think it is harrowing. I, I will use the word harrowing. Um, there is a description today of that Trafalgar High School that has been impacted by the teacher who insists that her breasts are real and that she suffers from a disorder. And I don't even know if we should call her she because they did an interview with the New York Post in which they said they are not transgender, instead identifying as intersex. Intersex is customarily people who have genitalia of both genders, and it's something that happens from time to time. Uh, quite frequently what happens is when a baby's born, they just make a ruling 
And they say, okay, this baby's going to be a boy or this baby's going to be a girl. And then they find out at puberty often that they chose quite wrongly. Um, so in this case, I don't know if uh, Kayla Lemieux is to be believed. I have advanced the theory for a good long time that I think we're being punked. I think this is a political thing. I think this is something, it's sort of a corporal clinger thing perhaps, where this individual would prefer to be on disability or to be cashed out. Um, but the description of what day-to-day -day life in this school is like is, it, it's unacceptable. I mean, kids talking about the fact that, and some of this may be just the way teenagers all talk to each other, but the stories they tell about, for example, um, they insist there are coded references that are given over the school PA. So teachers are told to look for staplers. And all of a sudden the teacher is opening and closing cupboards and looking under surfaces and the students claim that they're looking for bombs. There have been an endless succession of bomb threats against this school. Uh, one student said she was so scared she would think of switching to virtual learning until people figure out what's behind the attacks. Um, I'm actually terrified, she said. It's very disruptive because I'm in class and I'm constantly looking out the window and thinking, what if the kid next to me has a gun in his pocket? What if there's a bomb in my desk? I'm constantly looking for exits. And then an interesting aspect to this, an interesting way of uh, reflecting upon it, is some of the kids in the school are saying that this is an insult to women and that it's an insult to gender minorities. That if there's a gender questioning or a gay student or you know whatever, or a transgendered student in the school, that they are effectively being mocked by this teacher, which makes it a hostile environment. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Okay, so a few things in the five things you need to know that probably need some uh, elaboration. One of them, and it all depends on when you join us on the show, because I know there's a lot of people who would tune in, you know, on the half hour to hear the headlines, and then they keep listening, and then there are people who tune in on the hour because they want to hear the news. But uh, there's no presuming you were listening in the last half hour when we talked about the growing noise about Bonnie Crombie running to head up the provincial liberals. I would still maintain that it's kind of the same situation as Mike Schreiner, that nobody is going to leave a job that they have where they enjoy a certain uh, perch and influence <laughs> and income in order to risk running for the Liberal Party. So I have to think if there is a move afoot to recruit Bonnie Crombie, the liberals would have to arrange for her to get the job without leaving the mayoralty, or if she does leave the mayoralty, that she would be unopposed for the job. Certainly I know of no other person currently running for the leadership. Mitzi Hunter ruled it out, although she's still um, insisting she might run for mayor of Toronto. Um, I'm all for handing out advice today uh, to mayoral candidates, so I'll hand out some more advice uh, to Mitzi and everybody else. Declare now. Uh, you guys have got such a short runway, and the sort of tease, should I run, should I not, should come to an end with expedience. I know that the mayor's chair is not going to be declared vacant until the 29th of March, but you got to start running now. And the tease is unappealing. So 
Anna Bilal, when she gets here this morning, I'm hoping she'll just say, fine, I'm running. Uh, Brad Bradford, I don't think he put together a panel like that of fundraisers, pollsters, strategists, former city councilors, political advisors, minority group representatives, unless you are running. So just say I'm running. Let's let's have at it. Um, so, yeah, Bonnie Crombie as the leader of the provincial liberals, is that going to do it? I know the speculation is, is that she would put the fear of God into Doug Ford. I don't know that's necessarily true. Doug Ford, I think, has to be pretty comfortable. He won in a race anybody would have won the first time. I've always said if the conservatives were led by a panda bear, then Ling Ling would be the premier now because, you know, the liberals were spent and the NDP was not going to win. However, he boosted his majority in the last election cycle. And I've always argued that actually he has some pretty considerable bench strength. The, you know, the cabinets in provinces are often populated by some pretty frail reeds. But I think Doug Ford is pretty well surrounded. And I don't have to get into naming names, but he's, he's got some individuals who actually know what they're doing who are moving their files. So uh, other stories this morning. One thing in the five things you need to, need, need to know, the TTC CEO... Uh, getting more money. Now, there is some nuance to the story, but I don't want to get too deep into process. Um, what happened was that the uh, commission has given him a wider margin to spend money without having to ask permission to spend money. However, um, this still has to go to Toronto City Council. And it's not necessarily like we don't have the absolute figure that Rick Leary wants to pull on in order to boost security. But I would also venture that I don't think there's too many people in Toronto having witnessed the absolute chaos in our uh, transit system and the violence and the randomness of it all. I mean, people are being randomly killed. People are being randomly attacked, pushed on tracks, um, stabbed with bottles. It's, uh, you know, one woman at High Park Station was fatally stabbed by somebody she didn't know. Uh, so I don't think anybody's going to begrudge some extra money to help pay for security on the TTC. I think it was, was it John Burnside yesterday? Um, Joe Cristiano, it was, I, I lose track because the week becomes a blur, but I think it was yesterday or the day before we talked to John Burnside, who's head of the TTC commission. We talked or, to him yesterday at seven and he was on round one on Monday. Right. And... He was sort of hitting on the note that a lot of people have been hitting on, that there's just something a little wrong in our town right now. And so, I, again, to come back to what's going on on the TCC, I think if, if I was going, for example, from my home to Yorkville, I'm not afraid of the TTC, but I might just think, hmm, maybe I'll walk. It'll be more pleasant. Um, I also, like, I wouldn't wear earphones on the TTC anymore. I would not want to be distracted while watching, while riding the TTC. I want to hear if there's a disturbance on the subway train. And to be perfectly honest, I'd say perhaps in the last while, where I use the TTC probably three, four times a week, I would say about 75% of the time there has been somebody on the subway causing a disturbance. And maybe they're not going to attack anybody. But when there's a guy, the, the last time was just a couple of days ago, and there was a guy sort of walking the way four-year-olds do in kindergarten where he was dramatically stamping his feet as he moved from one car to another. 
Well, you just got to look at a guy like that and think, maybe I get off the train and wait for the next one, or maybe I watch him really closely and try to avoid getting too close to him. So yeah, when it comes to security on the TTC, I think we need some shock therapy. Um, report is out, and I don't think this necessarily acquits the Trudeau government, because I can't understand why this guy was appointed to do the report. His name is Morris Rosenberg. I'm sure he's been a fine public servant. He's a former deputy minister of foreign affairs. And incidentally, deputy ministers have all the power. Deputy ministers are civil servants. They are not politicians. And they basically run the department along with the DG. And so this guy's probably got a pretty impressive background. However, he was also president of the Trudeau Foundation for which years? I'll find it in the file, but I think about for about four years. And so that makes any investigation he does highly questionable, I think, if it exonerates the federal government, which this one does. Uh, efforts to meddle in the 2021 federal election did not affect the outcome of the vote. A new report based on the work of a panel of senior public servants has determined. Later on in the show, we can dig a little deeper into a voting record that some people have been questioning of one particular MP who some people think is uh, sold out to Chinese interests. Listen, if the Chinese were looking to buy influence in Canada's parliament, based on the voting record of all of the MPs they're accused of meddling with, they're not getting anything. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.